This is the Chicken Yogi Show, hosted by the Chicken Yogi, Kit Kilstow. Kit creates neurodivergent and chronic illness liberation through a devotion to radical free-range wellness. Look for wellness as unique as you are and find your own path with the Chicken Yogi way. Learn more and receive a free gift when you subscribe to their newsletter at chickenyogi.com. And now, today's show. Welcome to the show. I'm Kit Kelstow, your host, and today we're going to talk about what I think is the most important as well as the hardest thing to deal with when you are a late diagnosed neurodivergent individual. Now, there's no real definition of late diagnosed. For example, I was in my late 40s when I was diagnosed. Other people have been in their 20s and their 30s. But while the situation I'm going to talk about this week is difficult for everybody, regardless of whether you were late diagnosed or not, it really hits home, I think, for those of us who were in our 30s, our 40s, our 50s, or even later, when we realized we were neurodivergent. And the truth is, the longer that you go in life with the messages that you receive, the more you're going to ingrain those messages and make them your default operating system. Everybody has those voices in their head that often tell them that what they're doing isn't right or it's not going to work or something to that effect. If you are neurodivergent in any capacity, in any diagnosis or no diagnosis or self-diagnosis, you're going to have an extra amount of those messages because we are existing in a society that is built for neurotypical individuals. Instead of looking at us as simply a different way of thinking, a different way of existing, a different way of being, our Western society, and I would say definitely like past World War One, really kind of held on to that capitalist belief that this is how the world works and everybody needs to get in line. And if you don't get in line, then there's something wrong with you. And this capitalist belief is part of those messages that we really need to deconstruct. And so when you realize that you are neurodivergent, and again, it doesn't matter if this comes from a self-diagnosis or an official diagnosis or a kind of diagnosis, as for example, I have where a medical professional says, yeah, you're definitely autistic, you definitely have ADHD, but because of the arbitrary rules that our medical system has, you can't get a functional, actual written in your record diagnosis. And so, you know, no matter your diagnosis or realization status, once you realize that you're neurodivergent, it's a, it's a double-edged sword. On one hand, you were absolutely overjoyed that you have an answer that, you know, you're not messed up, that you're not all these things that people told you through your, through your life. But on the other hand, all these people told you these things through your life and they didn't realize that you simply have a brain that works differently from theirs. And so when you have that double-edged sword and you have those ingrained beliefs, 
one of the things that I think is vital that we do, and, and frankly vital that anybody does, but especially vital for those of us neurodivergent individuals, is to really delve in and deconstruct those voices in our head and deconstruct those beliefs. And what you're looking for is, is this true? Is this something that's true? Or is this something that was a story or a construct that was made up to explain things by people that don't want to understand you? And then is what you're dealing with part of some paradigm in the system? And usually it's going to be internalized capitalism, internalized ableism. And once you start peeling back all of those layers, it starts to get kind of heavy because you suddenly realize that, you know, everything that you knew or thought you knew about yourself is wrong but wrong in a good way, but now you have to figure out how to work with this new system. It's like, you know, if you upgraded from, and I'm going to way date myself here, but like Windows XP to Windows 7, that, you know, Windows XP to Vista was a jump. I mean, or nowadays people are moving from Windows 10 to Windows 11. Don't get me started on Windows 11. Um, but, you know, when you change operating systems on your computer, even within the same construct or the same paradigm, that operating system is going to take some getting used to. And so you can think about it as realizing that you need to change your operating system in your mind. Since I'm dating myself, I might as well talk about finding your inner Fox Mulder. Trust no one, question everything. And what I mean by that is those stories you told yourself, they came from somewhere. Quite often, they did not come from yourself. When we are young, we tend to follow our special interests or try to follow our special interests. We figure out things that work with us. We figure out ways to try to deal with things. And quite often, we're told that those things are wrong. If you're a young adult, you may want to pursue your special interests for a career. For example, I always told people I was going to write books and work on a horse farm, two of my special interests, being creative and writing fiction and horses. And I was constantly told, well, you're never going to make any money at that. And so I got a quote unquote real job and was miserable for most of my life like everybody else. That's, you know, once you start listening to those messages, and I hear that now as I'm transitioning into serving my community more full time, working to create offerings for my community, really diving into my yoga philosophy and my spiritual philosophy, which, yes, is a special interest. Um, as I dive into that and really fall passionately in love with this, I hear that voice in my head that says, you can't make a living with this. So anytime you hear that voice in your head, you need to question it. You know, who says? Who says you can't make a living, for example, doing what you love? Well, everybody. Well, who's everybody? You can start to see where I'm going with this. Well, my mother said, aha. You know, now we're getting to the heart of the situation. Now you realize that there's somebody in your life that was giving you this message. 
and now you start to realize that the reason why they were giving you that message probably stems from many different factors. For example, to use, to use my example, my mother gave me that message because my mother didn't want me to get hurt. My mother didn't want me to have my dreams shattered because she herself had dreams that she was not able to pursue for a variety of reasons. And because she could not pursue her dreams, she did not want me to be able to get hurt by not being able to pursue my dreams. You know, but giving yourself that kind of message or sending a loved one that kind of message is kind of, you know, backhanded harm because she did not want me to get hurt. So she told me that I couldn't pursue my dreams. Thus, I did not pursue my dreams. And because of that, I, you know, have endured quite a bit of burnout, quite a bit of, you know, mental health issues, that sort of thing. So when we start to question and we start to really examine things, there are two things that really need to, you know, come to the fore. The first is mindfulness. One of the beautiful parts about mindfulness is simply observing your thoughts. Again, we're not trying to think differently. We're not trying to think slowly. We're not trying to change the way we think. We simply want to be aware of our thoughts and do so without judgment. So that means that when a thought comes up about yourself, you know, oh, I can't do anything right. You observe the thought. You say, hey, wait a minute. I'm thinking this thought again. No judgment, no value attached to it. Just, oh, this exists. And then you start to apply logic because what we find is that those voices tend to speak in absolutes and absolutes or black and white thinking also tends to go hand in hand with a lot of neurodivergence because you start to find rules, you start to adhere to those rules. And a lot of times we find that those rules are the ways that we, for example, stay out of trouble or don't have people get mad at us if we follow the rules. And that's part of what's very frustrating as a neurodivergent individual is we follow the rules and yet we still get in trouble. So when you start to think about that, we need to understand when those voices are speaking in absolutes. And again, by being mindful of them, by observing them without judgment, and then we can start to do a little bit of investigation and figure out where those voices came from. Whatever method you have for doing this is the best method for you. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that this is how you investigate these thoughts. Some people, you know, think better with pen and paper. Some people go for a walk. Some people just kind of put an intention in their mind and let their mind work it out. But it's important to take those thoughts that come up, those thoughts that limit us, those thoughts that seem like absolutes in our lives and start to investigate where they come from. When did you hear that in the past? Who told you that in the past? Once you narrow in on that information, then you can start to think about why that person may have said that. We will never know somebody's true motives. And in the case of many of us who are late diagnosed neurodivergent individuals who suspect that one or both of our parents or family members were also neurodivergent, 
those questions may never be answered. If you're, you know, in my case, both of my parents have passed away. And so there will be no discussing this situation with them, except in my heart and mind, because I cannot sit down with them and have a physical conversation anymore. And that is very much what we need to keep in mind, too, is that whether it was bullies on the school ground, whether it's a family member that has passed on, whether it's a coworker or a boss you had that either still is or isn't in your life, or you may simply not wish to have this conversation with them, even if they are in your life, when you start to think about who gave us that story, who said those words to you, you will run into situations where there will be no closure. There will be no finding answers. All we can do is guess or try to forensically figure it out to the best of our ability. And sometimes the answer may be, that person was ableist, that person held ableist beliefs. For those who are unaware, being ableist means that you hold a bias against people you perceive as disabled. Being ableist also means that somebody who is neurodivergent, who maybe has mobility issues, who has chronic health issues, that for whatever reason, an individual may not be fit, mentally healthy, mentally typical, um, because neurodivergent people can be mentally healthy. There's nothing sick or ill or wrong about our brains. We simply think differently than other people. Just like, you know, some cats are orange and some cats are brown. We don't think that one is better than the other. We just simply know that they're cats. You know, our brains work differently than a neurotypical person. And the only reason why we use a neurotypical neurodivergent terminology is because of our society and our culture being geared toward one specific type of person or one specific type of brain. That entire thing is a failing of our society and culture. It has nothing to do with us or the way our brains work. So when we run into somebody who expresses ableist beliefs, that we have to understand is on them. And going through our thoughts, figuring out where some of our messages are coming from, and in many ways, rediscovering who we are. Because for the late diagnosed neurodivergent individual, there's a lot of rediscovering who you are. There's a lot of, you know, who was I? What did I want to do? What did I want to be before all of these messages got poured into my brain? Or I lost myself trying to mask um, by having, you know, a real job, taking care of my family, so on and so forth. When you, what you realize is that a lot of the people in your life who gave you those messages, who shared those things with you, that were not positive, uplifting, supportive messages, they hold that internalized bias and that's something that they have to work on. What that sadly means is that they have passed their internalized bias onto you. They have passed those thoughts just like if you grow up in a family with a certain political party affiliation quite often you will pick up that political affiliation from your family until you get out on your own or until you start to do research on your own, then you'll make up your own mind. 
It's the same thing with internalized capitalism or internalized ableism or racism or any ism or phobia that you can think of. So what we do is once you realize that those messages came from somebody else, you can start to explore what's behind them. Once you start exploring what's behind them, you quite often will realize that there is internalized ism behind those messages and you can start to deconstruct them. Deconstructing them means telling yourself a different story, telling yourself a different thing. For example, I can't make any money following my special interests. You will then, you know, once you realize what that is, where that came from, who told you that, you can start to think about that message. Well, I don't know how, but there's probably people out there who know how, who can help me. I can learn, I can find resources. All of a sudden we have come down from a solid, absolute, cannot, nope, never, to, hey, there's a possibility I may need to do some work. When we think about other messages that we receive, well, you know, every time I try to be myself, express myself, I get in trouble. Well, first of all, where in those venues did you try to express yourself? Well, it was at school. Okay, how did you get in trouble? I got teased by people I went to school with. Okay, there were probably things behind that. And yes, even though it still is cold comfort to hear it, understanding that they probably were jealous of the fact that you were unashamedly being yourself and being your authentic self probably was a big reason why they were teasing you or why you perceived that you were getting in trouble because they were jealous and they wanted you to conform to what they wanted. We also, again, get into internalized ableism, internalized capitalism, internalized phobias, where people simply don't like what's different. And we could talk about all the studies detailing how quickly holistic or non-autistic people seem to make a snap judgment and decide that they are not going to like or not going to support or not going to be friends with the, the autistic individual. And that all comes into play here too. And so when we think about those terms, and I know it seems like I've rambled a lot in this podcast, but when we think about what we need to do as late-diagnosed neurodivergent individuals, we need to realize, first and foremost, that we are not bad. We are not, you know, any of those things that people told us through the years. That we are capable people. We have talents and interests. We have a lot that we're good at. We have a lot that we're enjoying. And that we bring a lot to any relationship or any employer or any situation that we're in. Once you start to turn those messages around, you then start to think about where those messages came from and start to deconstruct them. And that, that's why I say that this is probably the most important thing to do, but also the most difficult. It's not something that happens overnight. It's an ongoing process. I've been diagnosed now for almost a year. And I'm, I mean, I'm very early into the process and I can still hear those voices in my head and I still have to work with them. 
But I think that it's important for us to do that because by shedding the stories and the things that we were told that don't work for us, by shedding that, we can then start to build the life that we want. And that's how you start to create a buffer against burnout. You start to create a buffer against meltdown. And you can start to create a life surrounding yourself with people who support and uplift you. I would love to talk about this topic in more detail. So if you have any questions, if you would like to be on my podcast and be a guest talking about this, I'm going to start having some guests on the show and I want to really, you know, maybe have a round table talking about this. So feel free to reach out, go to the website podcast.chickenyogi.com, send me a message. I would love to hear from you. And while you're there, Don't forget to sign up for my newsletter. You can sign up to get these episodes in your inbox. That way you don't ever miss a show. You can also subscribe on any podcast platform. I'm just about everywhere. Amazon, Spotify, Stitcher, all sorts of places. (laughs) So, you know, subscribe so you don't miss an episode. I look forward to talking with you next week. And until next time. Please don't forget to crow and flow. Thank you for listening to The Chicken Yogi Show, hosted by The Chicken Yogi, Kit Kilstow. Kit's passion is creating neurodivergent and chronic illness liberation through a devotion to radical free-range wellness. We're not one-size-fits-all people, so why should your wellness be designed for everyone? Learn more at chickenyogi.com and subscribe to the newsletter while you're there for a free gift. Please follow the podcast at podcast.chickenyogi.com. Subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Music is Running with the Horses by Purple Planet Music. Their website is purple-planet.com. This show is copyright 2023. All rights reserved by Kit Kalestow and Chicken Yogi. Thank you for listening.